0: Hi everyone, this is LOA Uncorked with Gina and Holly. We intend to have some fun around Law of Attraction principles. Let's discover and unleash the magic that exists inside ourselves. Tune in as we go on the hero's journey together to uplevel our lives with no bullshit, all truth, and nothing but fun. Grab a glass and join our virtual VIP conversation. Hello everyone, welcome to LOA Uncorked. This is Holly. And this is Gina. And today we have a very special guest. A incredible guest. I mean, she's gorgeous.
1: She's beautiful.
0: She's brilliant.
1: She's savvy.
0: She's a genius.
1: She's way ahead
0: of her time. And did we say she's my niece?
1: And she's your niece. (laughs) I actually have adopted her too. Well, she's my niece, niece also, yes. Yes,
0: she is.
1: Yes, she is. Okay. And she so, has a special tie to this podcast that we talk about in oh the interviews. So I can We will
0: get there. Mm-hmm. We will get there, but everything in due time, Miss Gina. Slow G-G- down, me. GG. Miha. G-G. I know. Slow okay, down, me. So Nas Riahi is a writer and a director. Her short film, Sincerely Eric, was chosen as a what is it? A Vimo? Vimeo. A Vimeo. Okay. In the <laughs> podcast, I said Vimo, which that's what I think it is. But it, somehow I was corrected. I'm not changing it. Listen, I have a, my Vimo. Gmail account now. I
1: now know it's Vimeo.
0: <laughs> you and your Because G- I'm relevant now. <laughs> Shit. Okay. Mm-hmm. A Vimeo. Vimeo. A Vimeo. <laughs> okay. Let me start. Let me start. So, You're gonna sincerely, hurt yourself. Eric, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> sincerely Eric. I Sincerely, Eric is her short film. It is freaking amazing. It's fucking on fire. Okay. It's, like, it's so beautiful. Yeah. It was a. V- Vimeo, Vimeo. Uh-huh. staff pick and won Vimeo best <laughs> of the year award. I think it's staffer's it, choice, right? Yeah, best film of got the year. Like a, she got like a statue.
1: It's amazing. A I vim- mean, she's starting a her Vimeo whole wall of Vimeo.
0: Not a Vimeo, mm-hmm. but a Vimeo. Yep. Okay. It has garnered praise from Brooklyn Academy of Music, mm-hmm. Fast Company. Mm-hmm. Los Angeles Review of Books and Subway Book Review, among numerous publications and cultural institutions. Let me tell you something. Gina. Yeah, she's it accredited. Is, oh, listen. Okay, it's ten. Is it ten minutes? Fifteen minutes? Uh, I don't yeah, know. there. Yep. It is so like you want to cry. Yeah. Okay, you like, really do. And you think this Eric individual is actually doing it? And she wrote the whole darn thing. Anyway, doesn't matter. Yep, okay, yep. you gotta you gotta listen to it or you gotta yeah. watch it to really understand what I'm talking about. It's incredible. Yep. Her second short film in this series. She's gonna have three, mm-hmm. and it's during the pandemic. So mm-hmm. sincerely, Eric was done in the pandemic. Is the second one also is Andros in the city, mm-hmm. and it explores gentle masculinity. Isn't mm-hmm. that beautiful? Mm-hmm. And hope amidst. The pandemic, right? I mean, like, there's yeah, it's a beautiful,
1: yeah, and her style. I mean, when you hear Nas talk, you'll hear she's an in incredible order, she's just brilliantly well spoken. Um, and there's a great story about that too. And her stories feel like Nas when you, when you, or her films look like Nas yeah. and feel like Nas when you watch it. Just very poignant, very artful, very deliberate, and. Just kind of a little staccato to the style of it. It's not overly wordy, but you no. feel everything. Yeah, you really right? do. There's, there's some magic in silence. Um, and so she well, does a beautiful job of it.
0: And I don't want to I don't want to tell anybody, um, be a spoiler. I, no, actually, I like to be spoiler. Yes, you do, but you know, be you careful. Know okay, but Andros, who is sort of hot. <laughs> I mean, no, he is hot. Let's mm-hmm. just be honest. Mm-hmm. He does a dance that she released- The full version is small in the film, and she released the. I mean, listen, trust me. Yeah, holy crap. Yep. Anyway, uh, we're going to keep going. Not to be missed. Yes. No, 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 no. So her essays, fiction, and journalism have been published widely among so many publications. Nas is currently writing and directing a third short film to complete the trilogy. And is working on a TV show. Yeah, I love it. I mean, I love me a TV show by Nas, I'm Mm -hmm. telling you. In addition to her creative practice, Nas has had an illustrious career as a creative strategy and culture marketer for various Mm -hmm. clients, including MIT, Media Lab, Levi's, Veronica Beard, Dr. Loretta Skincare, Mm, dig in mm-hmm. the CW, CBS, and many others. She's also the founder of Bitten.
1: Yeah. And
0: a notable event series and positioned food as a pillar of culture. Food is culture. Right. You know, I brilliant I, events too. I mean, like I I was scratching my head way back when I'm going, How is food culture? But she really taught me what that looks like. Yeah. She lives in Brooklyn, of course, with the infamous. Hugo, Hugo. I oh mean, yeah, listen, I, I Used. need me some Hugo. If you want to get a, in touch with her, because she's bossy, she told me I need to to actually spell <laughs> this for you. She's on Instagram at Riahi, and Riahi is spelled N A Z R I A H I, and she told me to spell it out. And <laughs> God knows, I love this woman. You will not want to miss this lady. She is a. Force to be reckoned with, and here she is. Enjoy, beautiful Nas. Oh my God! And this
1: is a very special day, Gina. I, it is full circle moment, don't you think?
0: Oh yeah, and mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and a big blockbuster way. Well, and I love the term blockbuster, uh huh, because yes, she's g- producing major blockbusters. Yes. yes. Major <laughs> and I hear her laughing. Blockbusters, major blockbusters. <laughs> we are so excited today. We have Riahi. She is a powerhouse. I'm going to call her an executive. I'm going to call her a creative. Yes, she's Force saying no to but be reckoned I'm saying with. Yes, mm-hmm. she's a creative. Her mm-hmm. latest endeavors is not only writing, mm-hmm. but she screenplays and books and essays. But now two films in the middle of a pandemic. Director of. Director. Two two films. Writing, directing, everything. Yes. And so we have Sincerely Eric that was just nominated and won a Vimo Award. And we also have Andros in Mm -hmm. the City. Yes. Which is her latest out that she's promoting. Yes. Yes. Incredible work. Incredible work. Gina, why is this full circle? Well,
1: full circle. I think we've talked about uh, this on the podcast before, that we were inspired, actually bullied into considering (laughs) doing a podcast about five years ago by someone who watched you and I interact and said... To two people who had never even listened to a podcast, you two should be on a podcast.
0: And That's like, correct.
1: What? And continue no. to encourage and <laughs> keep directing us back to doing something creative with whatever this chemistry is that we have. And the podcast idea was seed was planted in over dinner in New York City about five years ago. Is that about right, Nas? Yes. Um five years ago and and Nas really truly planted that seed and continued to hold us accountable and keep us thinking about doing something really unique and different for us. And so we have Nas to thank. You all have Nas to thank for all of this nonsense. <laughs> I'm well that, sorry. So if you want someone I'm to blame so sorry, this everyone. is the woman. <laughs> Don't blame <Welcome>. us.
0: Blame Nas. <laughs> oh my goodness. Welcome to the podcast, Nas. We're so excited to have you here today.
1: Thrilled to have you. I'm just gonna apologize to all your listeners <laughs> for,
0: yeah. for, yep. for the last I'm what, year glad and they a half. now know where they
1: should you know aim all their mean stuff it is to you <laughs> or give credit where credit is due and it's to you for sure um,
2: you know oh. what I wanted we both know I wanted a comedy which we get we're getting slash mm-hmm dating advice podcast.
1: (laughs) Oh, that's right. Oh, yes. The evening was rich, full of that dating advice that evening, I believe. Yes.
2: Yes. You're Mm -hmm. both very good at giving dating advice. I'm not sure that either of you is good at dating, but you're good at
1: giving the advice. Right. No, we're never good at anything we give advice no, on really. No, we are.
0: And thank God Gina's married and Yes. and yes. I'm not dating. Yes. There you go.
1: Yes. So That's true. That's true. That's true. Although I I I do enjoy watching you try and date.
0: That's cute. Whatever. Okay. So try to date. I, you do date What's a this lot. Is yes. okay. You date
1: a, you date a lot. Are you kidding?
0: I do. Okay, you I do. do. We're lying there. She does. All right. there, but she, does all right. she does just
1: fine. Yes, she does. <laughs> I'm
0: very discerning, as I should be. Oh
1: yes, and it's entertaining all the way around. Yes, it's yeah. true. Yeah.
0: Anyway, yeah. so I mean, today we're not giving you advice no. on dating.
1: You could. We're actually, we're actually looking for you. I, I we really, truly look to you, Nas, around really following your heart and your passion and and living the life that feels appropriate and authentic to you. And so I think maybe to set the foundation for today and the conversation is maybe share a little bit more about your background, um, how you became the Nas you are today, and, and maybe we'll save the, the filmmaking for a, a separate conversation, but maybe talk through um, your history and what maybe the critical points of development or change agents for you were along the way.
2: Well, those are a lot of
1: questions. Yeah, I, know. <laughs> I, I know. I loaded that up. I loaded that up. I'm gonna you answer find one your of way. them,
2: and then you ask me more. But do <laughs> you yep, we'll see, get more. Wait, 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 wait. Do we want to tell your audience how you guys know me? Holly hates this, but Holly's
0: my aunt Holly. <laughs> I know. Holly <laughs> like, doesn't hate oh, that. God, I did. Okay, Holly so when I was, being aunt Holly. Oh, I why hated do you hate being well, Aunt Holly? Because aunts are like. Ugly and old. No, they're not. Okay. And so when Nas, so I met Nas when she was a teenager. I think younger. Um, I think yeah, even younger. maybe younger. Yeah. 12, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe 12. And all she did was come out of her room and eat cereal. That's what I remember. <laughs> and then she'd go back to her room. And I always wanted a sister and, um, and I didn't have one. And so I met her back then. So I was quite young back then too. And, she was much younger, but I was quite young, and so when she called me aunt, you didn't like that. I didn't like it. Okay, so I married her uncle. That's what made me an aunt. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's usually how it works.
0: Yeah, that is usually how that works. I don't
1: know a chance. Mean, I don't know. What chan- I don't know what- I, Although I do, I disagree with Holly. And uh, and another piece of the full circle moment um, truly is the aunts. Like we I had hate talked that name. <laughs> I know we had talked, and and really, I think Nas. Um, inspired the podcast and really thought we should be the ants. That would be why would, I podcast. called you guys
0: the ants when you came uh-huh. to New York I know. to visit That's me, right. you were the ants. That's right. Do you remember we would call you going on our way to Seattle and give you like an advice mm-hmm. when you were going out on an mm-hmm. interview? I don't remember what it was about, but no, we would it was call my it was my car-
2: lawsuit with my former company. Lawsuit. Yeah, when That's I was right. in right. when I was in depositions, you guys would send yes. me funny like supportive uh, videos, That's which right. really like were everything at that moment <laughs> for me. They meant a lot to me. That was the hard one of the hardest things I've ever gone through.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We'll definitely I have to talk that's about that. That's an
0: important part of your story too. Your story is magical. <sighs> yes. And this it is. is and badassness. I mean, like <laughs> you are the essence of being yes. a badass boss. Okay. Yes. For yourself and being authentic. And, you know, that's a big part of your story. And that's what our audience likes to hear about. So that lawsuit is definitely part of it. Oh, Huge. Yeah. And We sent you those videos before our podcast. I mean, again, this was like leading up to it Mm -hmm. anyway, but I'm so thankful to have you in my life all this time from 12 on and watch you grow up. You know, you don't go past 25 for me. I don't know how old you are. It doesn't matter. (laughs) But for me, she stops aging you stop aging that's how A-Gine. that works i'm going backwards i'm benjamin button <laughs> and so should you and you know i just feel really blessed to be a part of your life so yeah. i think you know starting in the beginning uh, uh this creative process and all those questions that gina asked <laughs>
1: Well, listen. She's there. she's wickedly talented and smart. She'll get to all of them, yeah. I know she whether will. she tries or not. So go for it. Naz. Why don't you share a little bit more about yourself?
2: Okay. Well, I'm uh, as you said in the intro. I'm a writer and newly a filmmaker. Both of those things have been things I've wanted to do basically my whole life. Especially writing. I grew up with a writer in the family, my grandfather, and from the moment that I knew that that was a thing to do, which was probably around five or six, that is all I wanted to do. I would make up poems, I would uh, make up stories, I always had a book with me, or I was in his library. And it just was, I don't even think it was a calling. It was just something that was inside of me. It was Mm -hmm. within me and beyond me, um, in a way that I'm not quite sure I understand or even can articulate clearly. So I grew up doing wanting to be that and do that. And in Iran, in his home, we were surrounded by other artists and filmmakers and towards the end of my time in Iran, which was, uh, you know, I I immigrated to the US when I was nine and a half. I remember uh, there was a director who would come to a lot of his salons and he wanted to put me in one of his films. And I thought that was really exciting. I was a performer. I love having people watch me and uh, entertaining people. And so then we moved to the States and I sort of in my career path followed what you might expect an immigrant to do, which is to find something that is stable. So I knew that I wanted to be a writer. And the most logical and sane and least risky way that I could envision that happening was to become a journalist. So I went to undergrad at um, uh, Western Washington University, and I studied journalism and Spanish, and really thought that I might be a foreign correspondent, Or I might be working at the New York Times one day, and that on the side, I would write novels and uh, books of poetry. And so I did that. And in my last year in undergrad, I was expected to, I expected and was told uh, sort of informally that I would get a really prestigious internship at the Oregonian, which considered itself the New York Times of the West. And I applied for the internship. I went down to Portland and met with the recruiter when the head of my journalism department had a fellowship there over the summer. I was the only student who went down. He looked at my clips. He was really impressed with me. Then I ended up going to Spain for a semester. And when I came back, I applied for the internship. And then I didn't get it, which was really shocking to me. (laughs) And uh, on my rejection letter, there was a note, there was a posted from the recruiter. And it said, call me. And so I called him and he said, I wanted to tell you why you didn't get the internship. You didn't get the internship because you didn't use your Farsi in any of your articles. And I was like, I live in Bellingham, Washington.
0: Like, Well, and I did want to ask you about that because English is your second language, third language. I don't know. You speak at least three, right? And so you immigrated Mm -hmm. here not... I mean, you knew some of it, or no? I I, I knew know three nothing. words. I knew hello oh, and no shit. English. Wow. Yeah, and you came here at nine? Was it yes, nine? nine and a half? So I started fourth grade here. So um, without yeah. knowing any English, and you're becoming a writer, and then this guy says you didn't use any Farsi, <laughs> and that's why you didn't get. Wow, that's crazy.
2: It's crazy. And at the time, I was so mad at myself. I was so disappointed in myself. I was heartbroken. You know, this is this was literally my dream. And I felt like such a failure. And now I realize, oh, that was a white man who thought very highly of himself and put these un achievable standards on me because I am a brown woman and that is how it is for women and that is how it is for people of color and it's multiplied by that if you're a woman of color and of course if you're a black woman then forget about it or an indigenous woman it's a a thousand times worse for you so I in retrospect I realized that I, I bet you anything I bet you anything that internship went to a white guy (laughs)
0: probably and that was many years ago we won't say how many really quite frankly but (laughs) and you had no idea what the expectations were to get that internship that you had to
2: it is important to say how many years ago that was 20 years ago almost 20 yeah yeah Mm -hmm. and things honestly haven't changed that much we're just a little bit more aware but they really haven't changed um and and so you know that that ended up changing my entire future not getting that internship Um, Instead of going to Portland, Oregon, I ended up moving to I I quit all of my journalism classes um, and the newspaper and everything by the end, you know, by my senior year when I didn't get that internship, I started taking fiction writing classes and poetry classes, I moved to New York, and I thought I'm going to be a music journalist, and I'm going to write novels on the side. And I I genuinely thought that that would be something that would work like, like, oh, no big (laughs) deal. I'll totally be able to pay my rent. <laughs>
1: kind of like, like, right, right,
0: right, writing about like you know the yeah. national and. <laughs> I I love that though. <laughs> I, well, I remember, and you were getting you had to go there and not meet your roommates, and I don't yeah. know that was a big deal. I found it's quite, very brave. You're very brave. Yeah, extremely. Thank extremely
2: you. Yeah, I didn't know anyone here. I found my. Oh, I had a cousin here, but we didn't really have much of a relationship at the time. And I found my apartment on Craigslist. I didn't know my roommates. I sent a $700 check to someone I'd never met, and I shipped all of my boxes. And I remember I had heard that there was this cool neighborhood in Brooklyn called Williamsburg. And so I thought, OK, I'm going to move there. And I the cab pulled up to my apartment from the airport, and I lived on Broadway, and I looked around, and it was so sketchy and sh- and shitty. And I was like, "No, no, no! This can't be my apartment." Uh, and no, I no. was like, "I live on Broadway." <laughs> and he was like, "Yeah, this is Broadway. There's your apartment.
1: <laughs> oh, <laughs> get, shit. I, get out of my fucking couch!" Welcome to the big city, kid. <laughs> Good luck. Oh my god. <laughs> oh shit. Oh my god. So so. So, you had never even visited New York City before? I had visited
2: once. Somehow, I got an interview at a jewelry company like three months before I moved to New York. And they flew me out for the interview, and I didn't want the job. And I felt so bad. Oh my God. That's incredible.
0: But you have a history of like manifesting jobs out of nowhere all you have to do is say you need a job in a jewelry yeah. company you had no background in jewelry you worked at starbucks okay but but, <laughs> but not jewelry no. and they flew you i mean who flies somebody I have no for, a, it, yeah. for an entry-level jewelry job
1: i know no doubt. Okay, so, so what happened with that?
0: You never worked there. I don't remember. No,
2: you I never there. worked there. <laughs> I I feel I still to this day feel bad. I was young. Let's blame it on youth. I took the airplane ticket. I came out to New York. I did go interview with them and then I basically had been harassing the editor-in-chief of this magazine called The Fader for like ever to try to get him to let me write for them. It was this really cool music magazine and I had written a piece on spec about this band called the catheters of guys who I'd gone to high school with, and then they had like kind of like become big and a big record label had tried to sign them and they had said no. And they were on sub pop in Seattle. And so I wrote this really cool piece and I sent it to him. And again, these things happen all the time, but when they're happening, you don't understand what's happening exactly. So I took mm-hmm. him out. So we went out to coffee. I had, this was back in the day when email was a thing, but you were, you could still call people. So I used to call the fader offices <laughs> until like, really, I'm very persistent uh, until they finally went we right to the
1: side. Are we not supposed to call people now? Is that the new?
2: No, the we new don't. Thing? <laughs> you don't. You don't know. You don't call people. No. Maybe we should okay. start. But anyway, I, yeah, he, he took me out to coffee and he was like, your piece is really good. It's better written than most of our writers. Call me if you move to New York. And so I called him when I moved to New York. And he said, okay, pitch me 10 front of the magazine pieces. And I'll let you write them if they're good. And so out of the 10, he let me write two of the front of the magazine pieces. And those are usually the small pieces at the front of the magazine. They're not feature right. stories. Right. And I wrote about John in the Morning, the famous KEXV DJ. And I wrote about uh, this group of tall bikers called the Black Label Bicycle Club. And it was this anarchist group of uh, young people who lived in a former chicken factory in a neighborhood called Bed-Stuy in New York. And they sort of like mutated their bicycles to be like three stories high. And it was really, really fun. And so so I wrote about that and I sent it in and they were like, we will pay you 25 cents a word. And I have never... (laughs) squeezed in as many words <laughs> as possible in right
1: because your your style of writing is not overly wordy
2: <laughs> no it's very sparse but I wanted as much money as I could and it <laughs> ended up they ended up like obviously cleaning it up and cutting all back all the words I got published in print in the Kurt Cobain anniversary death issue which was meaningful to me being having grown up in Washington wow. I love and that. being a fan no of doubt. Nirvana and they never paid me and they never hired me to write for them even though I asked so many times and I pitched so many ideas and they gave the story about the catheters to a white guy to write the piece that I had written for them and submitted. And it came out two months later in the magazine.
0: Oh, wow. <laughs> but he got, but I they bet never he got paid. paid. Did they, they never paid no, you? No, they never the
1: paid. T- no, no, no. They never, they paid
0: never, you never Catholic. got any money from them, mm-hmm. even though. No, that's, no, wow. I hate that. Yeah, but
2: you know what I did yeah. do is I carried that magazine around with me for two years in New York City and I got into every show for free because I would just say, I'm a reporter for the fader. Look. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, that was more than you. I mean, you did get paid in a, just a really unique way, I think.
0: <laughs> I love the hustle. I love oh, the my hustle. god, no. I mean,
2: nobody has a bunch of losers.
0: Okay. We don't like them. Hopefully. I mean, is it still so long
2: ago? It's in print, different people run it. Things have changed. And, you know, I don't even, I, 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 I'm not even uh, really a part of the music scene anymore. You know, as you get, sometimes as you get older, your interests change. And I also ended up marrying someone who every time I found a band, he would be like, Oh, that's so derivative of this, this, and this. And he knew so much about music that it really killed my love for music. I was like, well, fuck it. I give up.
0: So your ex-husband killed your love of music.
1: He really
2: did. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Ouch. Well, that's a that's a that's a powerful thing, really.
2: No, I I love music, but you know, I didn't go, I didn't continue to go down that road. And, and obviously things changed. I, I, you know, the, the dream of being, you know, writing two pieces for front of the magazine at the fader and somehow paying my rent in New York very quickly.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So how did you, how did you uh, pivot and, and pay your rent for a number of years? And how did that inform how you've grown and developed both on the creative side, but also on the business side?
2: I mean, I basically I ended up getting a, a, a job at a restaurant and then I'm a terrible waitress. I got fired from the restaurant. I, you know, literally, if you live in New York, you always have at some point you have a story. If you live in New York long enough, you will have cried in the street and on the train in New York at some point in your life. Yes. And for me, it happened very early on in my life in New York. Within a few months of being here, I got fired and ended up sobbing on the sidewalk outside of the restaurant. Oh, <laughs> oh gosh and but you know i <laughs> deserve it a I'm tough a ter- town i'm a terrible waitress, you know and so i ended up no you of- are a
0: personal assistant do you remember that that's the worst job you're better at a restaurant than a personal assistant right? oh my god yes oh, yes. oh yeah i forgot <laughs> yes. about
2: that i got yes I, wasn't, I was an administrative assistant to two ceos of an advertising s- agency
0: <laughs> oh my god I, you I, know, they didn't go to the right place at the right time. Know. You know it. No, 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 no,
2: no. Listen, listen, oh. listen. <laughs> I was one of two. No, I was one of three women who worked in this entire agency. I was the only person of color who worked in this agency. I got oh, fired wow. on my fourth day at the agency and I was told to stick around until they found my replacement for two months after I got fired. I was told to think about my words before I go in to talk to the CEO because he didn't have time to wait for me to think about what I was going to say when I was in his office. I was blamed for things that I absolutely did not do. 100% I'm sure of. I was told to come in before everyone else at eight o'clock in the morning to prepare and get everything ready and to not leave before everybody else left for a salary of $25,000 a year.
0: Wow, in Nas. New York City
2: in New York City and mm. that was I I that was really that was really incredible yeah
1: wow did you stay the two months
2: yeah because I needed money I had no choice sure. yeah, no and choice. so yeah. I remember I was working one day I was finishing. I was like typing something up finishing an email something and the CFO came up to me and the CFO at this company was used to be a really famous child actor he was the boy who played the son in Kramer versus Kramer and oh, you're he had been like nominated, like the youngest person ever nominated for an Oscar. And now he was the CFO of this company. And he worked in like a dark, sad cubicle in the back of the office. And <laughs> I remember he wow. came up to my desk and he like cleared his throat. And I was finishing like a sentence or two sentences of whatever I was typing. And he started screaming at me. You stop typing when I come to talk to you. You look at me when I'm talking to you. You know, wow. it was horrific. I was it was horrific, and he. When I was leaving, he was like on my last day or something. He was like, "You weren't as bad as I thought you were going to be." And oh wow, wow, <laughs> yeah, that was fun. God, you guys are—you just- know everything about me. See, Holly knows everything. So-
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: wow. Well, that's how you know you're not in the right spot, right? Yeah, no, I was going to say like, you know. You
0: know that all of that, yeah. all of those jobs were just pointing you to go in a different direction as swiftly I mean, even as possible. Your advertising yeah. jobs. And we probably should touch on the, yeah. the, the lawsuit if you feel comfortable talking about it.
2: See, I think that I, I don't necessarily agree with you guys that that was like the universe telling me I wasn't in the right place. Yeah. Say more, you know, like, <laughs> no, because that puts, that makes it seem like sexism and racism are okay because they're in the benefit of the person who's suffering from them in the moment. And actually all of my experiences with sexism and racism have scarred me. They've held me back. They've impacted my income. They've impacted my confidence. They've tainted my worldview. And I know that I don't have it nearly as bad, not even a minuscule Compared yeah. to black people in this country compared to indigenous people in this country. And so I do not agree that it's the universe doing me a favor. Because that yeah. makes it seem like I, you know, I should be grateful for it. Well, could, and, and I, you know what And no, and the truth is like maybe I would have had a really successful advertising career and maybe I would have been very happy in that Holly.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. And I don't, I actually don't think it's anybody like the universe or God or whoever you believe in doing you a favor, but I do believe it forms this beautiful voice that, Mm -hmm. and the pain of so many people that people can see that and heal through your experiences. So you're able to vocalize and champion in an area that still needs vocalization and championship. And I don't know that we, you came in there and said, please sign me up for racism yeah, and no, yeah. sexism. Well, I don't think anybody really does that, but you're such a powerful force and voice that you give it life yeah. where it needs life. And that but I, I is would rather special. It did, but I would rather it didn't
2: exist. I would rather not have I to give agree.
1: it life. We all not would have believe to, you that. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, agree. So, but you're
0: living in a time that it does exist and yeah. you're a victim of this Absolutely. and you have... Uh, I mean, you have now a world stage to be able to showcase it and and bring it through, as in so affect many change, other, yeah. uh, and affect positive change. That's what I say. So no, I I don't think like I I don't think we would necessarily look at that no. as please sign me up to be abused. You know, no. like no. But it does give you this beautiful, unique space to heal others and champion, so that we don't have it our whole. Entire lives, so that we don't leave a legacy of this continuing forward. That's you know, that's kind of what I believe.
1: Yep. Mm. But I certainly, I certainly hear you and appreciate your Mm -hmm. your comments on that, Nas. Because it, it whether it led you to a better place, the 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 experience of it was horrific. So, Mm -hmm.
2: and I don't know what that other place would have been like had I been given the opportunities.
1: Yeah. Very fair. Very fair. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: So, talk about how you got into. I mean, you've been publishing some amazing yeah. essays from your novel. And from my no, no, not a novel. From my memoir. 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 Yep. Mm-hmm. And and talk to us a little bit about that. And then I really want to get to the pandemic and what magic happened during the pandemic. There was things afoot. Oh, magic yeah. was afoot during this time. Yep. It's still going <laughs> yeah. on, but you know more magic is happening, I'm sure. So talk to us a little bit about that.
2: So I ended up working for a few years in the corporate world in New York, I ended up in being in publishing. And I got that my my first publishing job through my uh, one of my journalism school professors, who I'm still in touch with Scott. And I'm really grateful for that. So I was an assist I was an assistant, and I was a successful assistant at that publishing company, I worked for uh, two women. And I ended up doing that for a few years, going to a different publishing company, and then getting into grad school to get my MFA for creative writing. Because while I knew that I was a talented writer, I also knew that I had a lot to learn. And mm-hmm. I wanted to hone my skill, I wanted to hone my craft. And yeah. so I applied to a few schools, and I got into the new school in New York City. And I I, I started that process. I continued to work while I was in grad school, but not a nine to five job. I was a babysitter um, and a nanny, and I would transcribe interviews for reporters. <laughs> <Awesome>.
0: <laughs> I love that. That's great. And yeah. so,
2: <laughs> and so, I went to graduate school, and um, that was an incredible experience, both in the things that I learned, but mostly in that I was given the time and time and space to work on something I was really passionate about, which was writing. And then immediately after grad school, I had to get a job again. Of course, I had $500 in my bank account when I got Mm -hmm. my job coming out of grad school. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Yep, that's crazy. And so I, I, I got a I got a job I, I had a, I held a few different really interesting jobs my career has spanned advertising publishing the nonprofit world and a few years after that I ended up moving to LA for a job in advertising which I was pretty excited about and at that time I was married I'm divorced now and my and my husband and I went out there but having to work at those jobs and trying to build a career sort of while I continued to write stories on the side and submit and get rejections, I was telling you guys before this and every writer pretty much can share in this experience, my walls, you know, could be covered in rejection letters from all the things that I, I had written. And so I sort of put writing a little bit to the side, even though ultimately that is still what I wanted to do. And I remember talking about it a lot with my ex-husband in the years that we were in LA. And at one point towards the end of our marriage, he said to me, you know, you don't have to be a writer just because that's what you've always wanted to be. And he thought Mm -hmm. he was giving me permission to let go of something that was really difficult for me. And for me, that was a moment of clarity of wow, this person really does not understand or support me. And it was one of really important moments of clarity in that relationship. So yeah. So it took a long time from that moment to me finally writing a book, which is still unpublished, um, but then beginning to submit chapters of that book as essays out into the world to get published. And, you know, we, sorry, my dog is coughing. We, um, you know, we, we come back to this and, and I, again, I think it's really important for me to say it, but who runs literary magazines? upper-class white people run literary magazines? Mm -hmm. Who do they mostly publish? Upper-class white writers. Yeah, Mm -hmm. You know, and this happens over and over and over and over again. Who are the editors at publishing houses? I had a book that, the same book from which chapters have been published and you both have read them and they've done really well. People are very, very, you know, receptive to those. My book went out to 28 editors. I think 27 of them were, were, Were white women, and they all rejected it. And most of them said it's too Iranian or not Iranian enough.
0: Right.
2: That bullseye
0: keeps changing, right? That's like,
2: that is what I'm allowed to to write about. That is what I'm given permission to write about.
0: You know, like
2: as an Iranian immigrant, there is an expectation for me. No one ever said there are too many. Like I was told there are too many Iranian revolution memoirs, which this is not even that, but when was the last time you heard there are too many male alcoholic memoirs? Right. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> or there are too, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. <or laughs> wow. No, so, I mean, it's crazy. So yes, no, it's but not but Iranian I, enough. It's too Iranian. It's too, Iranian. but I, pers- you know, I, I, I
2: persisted with the essays and, and the chapters and the stories and all of that. And, and I, I, Oh, I recently had a short story rejected by a publication because this is really great, because it was too on the nose to be believable. Now it's not published, so I'm well, gonna what's... tell you this. It's about it's about racism. Everything in the story—it's—it's it's packaged as fiction, but it's literally things that have happened to me. It's auto. <laughs> right. That's the on the note <laughs>
0: part, right?
2: Yeah, and I'm like, yeah. but this really fucking happened, you know? So, so, <laughs> so anyway, I—I wow. I, I had an essay accepted by this incredible editor about two years ago, Sari e. Button. At long reads, and from there, my writing career kind of opened up, and I was invited to submit, and I was invited to publish, and that's been really, really incredible. And that's how the that's how the writing happened. And I'm continuing to write um, both essays and fiction, and I, I do hope to have a book out one day in the future. We'll see.
0: How did you get invited to the? Which essay was it an essay that you got invited to the White House?
2: Oh, so I got, I had a start in the middle of all this. I also had a startup. So as you guys know, which is you would visit me after those events. I had a startup that was an event series that was all about culture and food. And I, uh, President Obama in his last year as president, went to South by Southwest in Austin and gave um, a keynote address there. And he loved the experience and he thought we should do this at the White House. So they created this thing called South by South Lawn on the South Lawn of the White House. And Mm -hmm. they invited, it was a very small event by White House standards. I think it was about 5,000 people were there. And I believe, I believe 250 people had been invited who weren't vendors or notable people that had been invited. And I was one of them because of my startup. And so I got to be at the White House. It was an incredible experience being there. In the last term of this incredible president's presidency, and knowing that the first family was just inside, and especially for an immigrant to be there for some, you know, yeah. before before I, before when my family found out I was going, they were all so proud. There's something yeah, like course. I believe anyone's family would be proud of them for being invited sure, to Obama's but even White more House. So. But even yeah. more meaningful for an immigrant. And yeah. my grandmother called me and said, "I heard you're going to the White House. I'm so excited. <laughs> you know, there's an I, I've heard there's an Iranian woman who works there, and if you go and find her, she can introduce you to the president." <laughs> and I said, "Do you know her?" And she was like, "No," but I heard she works there. And I was like, "Okay, I definitely like cannot be wandering the halls of the White
1: House like." <laughs>
0: Speaking Farsi, hoping somebody, you know,
1: responds. Yeah, totally. (laughs) The grandmas always have such great advice. Don't they? grandmas are great. great Grandmas are great. You know, and it was incredible. President Obama was there. I was
2: a few feet away from him. That was so cool. But my mom was like, take a picture with him. And I'm like, no, like, you can't just like take a picture with the president. That's what (laughs) they're doing. And, you know, when I, when I was young, when we first come here, I loved David Copperfield and my mom. Uh, took me to a show of his in Vegas and sent me in by myself. I was 12 and I went and saw a David Copperfield show by myself. And uh, when we came out, I said, <laughs> you know, he's signing autographs. Can we go? And she said, yeah. And she took me and she pushed me in front of him. He was sitting in this like high chair and she said, sit on his lap.
1: I'm going to take your picture.
2: And I was like, like he's, oh. San-
1: like he's Santa Claus. <laughs> <laughs> Like, oh my so God. inappropriate. And I was like, I'm not sitting on David Copperfield. <laughs> <laughs> I might disappear. Oh my God. That is so, the best story ever. That's a great story. <laughs> so, oh my God.
2: So anyway, I spent this really long day at the white house. I think I woke up at four or five in the morning to take the train to Washington DC. And then yeah. I came home around, I think I got home at around two or three, um, at night. Uh, so almost 24 hours I was up and, on the train ride back, I felt this surge of emotion and this essay just started writing itself. And it was, and you're Mm -hmm. right, Holly, that was the first essay that even though I, I put it on Medium. It was the first essay of mine that got attention, and one of the people whose attention it got was the White House Communications Director, who passed it around in the White House. And they told me, you know, in the essay, it was right before the election. I had written about Trump and Hillary Clinton, and she said, "If you take out that bit about Trump and Hillary, we might be able to do something with it, because the White House oh, couldn't be perceived to be, you know, sure uh, right. taking a side." And so. I was like, absolutely. Like, it's the only time anyone's ever asked asked me to edit something I've written where I've just said yes without fighting. <laughs> right. <it. laughs> right,
1: right. Uh, yep. Smart, then, smart one. Smart one to stand down on that one. Actually, yeah. yeah good and they idea. Published it, right? and they did.
2: Oh yes, yeah, so I woke up one morning. They didn't yeah. just publish it, but President Obama had responded to it publicly in the comments yes. of the piece, and so yeah. they shared it on their media and they shared it on their Twitter and. President Obama yep. responded to it and named me twice in the piece by named he by did. first name. And that yeah, was really, really incredible. That was, I was it was, and it was really just felt like this magical thing that came outside of me. I wrote it on the train. I didn't think much about it. I didn't revise it very much. And I just the next day I put it up.
0: Wow. I love that. That's beautiful. Yeah. It's a great yeah. story. That is it was incredible. It is incredible.
1: It's incredible. <laughs> it's an incredible story. But when you hear it in the context of all that you had had led to that moment to you sitting on that train, exhausted, writing from the heart like that, it it makes it even more profound for sure.
0: Yeah.
1: So, yeah, yeah. beautiful.
0: Well, all of her all of her essays They're are incredibly extremely profound, I- extremely profound. And I do actually oh. like how you write about food and bring food into love <laughs> and food into I mean, I yeah. love. Yeah. Hearing t- about. The tea and all the I know and, and literally
1: <laughs> Nas is like the best person to be in New York City with because you know all these amazing places <laughs> that has the, the most amazing food uh, it's and just, cocktails and cocktails okay, yeah. yeah yeah and that too yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. anyway yeah. okay so let's talk about your first film mm-hmm. sincerely Eric how did that happen
2: so yeah so at the beginning of the pandemic like a lot of freelancers I lost all of my clients And it was a really scary moment for me. I had a lot of anxiety around work and money. And I finally felt like I had hit my stride as a freelancer. And I really enjoyed the people that I was working with. And I had one client who is this company that I adore with people I adore. And they were planning a bigger project. And, you know, of course, it didn't happen in that moment. And then this other Mm -hmm. big project I had, came, you know, fell through. And it really took a lot for me to be calm in that moment. And I kept having to say to myself, you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. Nothing to worry about. And I had those conversations over and over and over with myself. So while in the beginning for about (laughs) what feels like five minutes, I thought, how am I going to pivot? Like, what company am I going to find who needs me? Blah, 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 blah. You know, all this stuff. Um, I let all of that go. And I, I was like, okay, well, I, I don't know what I'm gonna do, but it's gonna come to me. And I was sitting one day with my friend Monica having an outdoor uh, glass of wine. You know, this was when New York was under strict, uh, you know, distancing measures. So we were sitting six feet apart on her stoop, with our masks on, and you know, sipping our wine through that. And she said to me, we were talking about writing and my book because she had read my memoir and how it hadn't gotten published. And she said to me. You know, you're never even if even when your book gets published, you're not going to have the kind of life you want to have being a book writer. You don't want to be a professor. And that's what a lot of authors have to do. Some of them do make enough money off of their books to have a comfortable life, but most have other jobs. And she said what you have always talked about. and, And this is something we haven't discussed here, but it is another thread that has come through my life for many years is that I've wanted to be a filmmaker ever since I was about 12 years old, I I wanted to make films. And I just didn't think that that was something I could do because I just never knew anyone like me who had been successful at that. It seemed Hollywood seemed like a million miles away from my life, Mm -hmm. from what I looked like, from my family, from all of that. And so I had always been too afraid. And really, even though I'm I'm generally a pretty bold person in the things that I do, for some reason I thought I'm just not special enough to be a director. That's like, you know, those are really big, important people. And um funny enough, like this all of this coincided, the book and and me thinking more about film coincided with the fact that I, as you guys know, dated a director and was madly in love with madly, madly in love with him. And he is very successful, but he's really
0: nothing special. <laughs> right? <laughs> and everybody would know what he directed. Everybody yeah. would know. So that we we, we won't disclose who he is. No, but everybody listening to this podcast would know this this director's work. This Maybe not yeah. the director, yeah. but the director's work. Yeah. And he was not special. Okay, keep going. <laughs> he was not special. I mean, I loved him. I, I, you know, there's still of a me that
2: loves him. I wrote a whole book basically because of him. Right. But, but I really thought, oh my God, if he can do it, I think I can do it. And so I started talking (laughs) about it. (laughs)
1: it's amazing where the inspiration comes from sometimes, but take it where you get it. Oh, I mean, Gina, bedroom or the bathroom. One of the
0: two. Okay. Keep
1: going.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And and so I had been talking for years. I started to write scripts and I'd been talking, you know, uh, different types of scripts. And I had been talking about how I want to make films. I want to make a short film. I want to make a short film. And Monica said, you know what? why don't you just do the thing you always talk about wanting to do? I don't understand why you don't do that. Just give it a shot. That is the life that you want. And I thought, okay, I'm going to do it. And (laughs) that was like the middle of April, maybe, maybe. No, it was like the end of April, I think, beginning of May. And by the end of May, I was on set making a short film. I so know you, you do can, not mess
0: you don't mess around. She does she not she does fuck not around. around. No, no, around. no, absolutely. no,
1: Next okay. time we come to New York, though, we have to meet Monica.
0: Oh, well, oh, she's Monica's in the movie. She's in the movie. Yeah, I know. She's but, the yeah. tag out, right? Yes, that goes. But into I want to meet her because that's um, right. a good friend. Yes, that's a brilliant friend. That's a really friend. great friend. Anyway,
2: keep going. Yeah. She is a good friend. She so, also said this other really incredible thing to me, which was um when I when I lost another client sort of in the middle of all of this, she said. That's your past. That's not your future.
0: Oh, and I love
2: that. I thought, you're right. That is my past. And yeah. so, so yeah, by the end of uh, May, wow. I was on set making a film. i I thought about the story for a few weeks. I wrote it in a few hours. Um, I recruited a friend of mine to be in it, and Monica, who makes a cameo in it. Um, and then I asked my friend Uli's husband if he would be my DP. And he said, sure. and, It was a really funny thing because I had never worked with him. I knew he was a director and an editor. He'd never DP'd anything. He'd never been a director of photography. I didn't even know if he had equipment. And it turns out he had all this equipment. And he (laughs) was totally game to do it. And he's wonderful because I, you know, that first day when we were, I didn't sleep at all the night before. And it was a, you know, it was a tiny cast and crew, just me, Eric and Alec. I didn't have an assistant. I didn't have a producer. And so I had to do all the detail stuff that I hate to do. Like I had to make the schedule. I had to figure out what people were eating for lunch. And those are the things that really stress me out. I'm not great with details. And, Mm -hmm. um, but I also really don't want to disappoint anyone who's Helping me, and so I, yeah. So for me, it was really important to stay on schedule to make sure that I don't keep anybody any longer than I need to, to make sure that they're well fed. All of those things. So I, you know, I'm like schlepping to the deli to buy like grapes and seltzer, you know, and
1: like
2: (laughs) protein bars, and and so I was the production designer. I was everything on this movie, and so now you. But
0: can we go back to you? You actually wrote it in your head. Mm-hmm. And then got it written. By the time you were on set, a month later. Yeah. After so four that. So weeks. By four weeks. You had yeah. it all ready From to go. Monica yeah.
1: giving mm-hmm. you the what for to you having you're on set with your. Yes. You have
0: dialogue written. You have the
1: whole. I have the script. Mm-hmm. You've got the wow. script. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Keep yeah. going. How okay. long? How long did it take you to write it, Naz? Uh,
2: well, I I wrote most of it in my head over the over the weeks before we shot it and when I finally had the story when I sat down to write it it took a few it took a couple of hours it's it's only wow. about an 11 page script and um and so I you know and I discussed it with Monica Monica um is, is a has a really profound and ex- extraordinary brain and she I I want I really Seek her advice and trust her opinion. So she read the script. Yeah. A couple of other people read the script once I had written it, and I, I think a week later we probably shot. I, you know, yeah. I also sent it to Eric and asked him if he would change anything. I'm. It's a uh, film is a very collaborative process. Film is not something one person can do on her own, and sure. I love. I love the experience of collaborating. I love the experience of the teamwork of being on set and being exhausted and being all in together. And so the first day, though, I was so nervous. I was like, you know, I know it's only Alec and Eric, but they're going to find out very quickly. I have no idea what the fuck I'm doing. And it's <laughs> going to be so embarrassing. I'm just going to be such a bad film. But I, you know, I thought that for two seconds and then I let it go. And and to his credit, Alec is the most gentle man I know. And he he was so kind and generous in his quiet support of what I was doing and never making mm. me feel like, even though he's a director and he's so much more experienced than me, never making me feel like I didn't know what I was doing or I was doing okay. something wrong. And he taught me things very gently. At one point, you know, he, he pulled me aside and he said, can I suggest something? And I said, yeah, of course. And he said, do you want to maybe ask them to do this scene this other way? And, you know, that had not occurred to me. And we did it, we didn't end up using that take, but it was incredible to know that that's somewhere I could go. And I wouldn't have known that without Alec, like very gently nudging me and saying, might we do this okay. as opposed to like, you know, and I think his his gentleness balances his masculinity. And I wish more men were like him. I think when we shot the second film, uh, we had a, my friend Ashley was the PA. And at the end of all of this, she said, Alec makes me realize what kind of man I want in my life. You know, he's oh, that, love he's that. that guy.
1: Yeah. He's oh, incredible. I love that. I do. And
2: he's the husband of one of my best friends and she's amazing. And so hmm. I felt really blessed to have found these two people to make this film with, And it did feel divine in some way, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like, yeah. you were able to, I do believe that, like, you were able to take that concept that you and Monica talked about, and within a few short weeks, I mean, who does that? Have a script, have people, well, Eric's the star, and mm-hmm. the, and it centers around his business, so you had conceptually thought about him doing this from the very beginning. Did he know well, that he was... Um, no. So so that, that's a really good question. I mean, I, I'm
2: very practical. I knew what my resources were and what my limitations were. Everything, right. in, New, everything yeah. in New York was closed. Eric owns this beautiful bookstore. When else was I going to be able to shoot something in this bookstore? I couldn't afford to rent it. So the best time to do it would be when it's closed. Well, why not put Eric in it? Why not make it about a bookseller? So it really started with, I have this bookstore oh, I to use that. as a set. Yeah. And well, everything else kind of yeah. came around that. And and then the, the the story, even though Eric plays a version of himself, is really about my, it's about isolation. And it was really about my experience in those early months of COVID. I live alone with Hugo, with my dog. But like, I did feel isolated. I did look at all of my friends who were, who had kids or partners. And they would, they had someone to watch TV with at the end of the night. And I didn't. Right. And that was very yeah. much something I wanted to convey. So Eric, it plays a version of himself but also a version of me in the film.
0: And it is sort of a love story to New York yeah. City, right? This mm-hmm. is a love story. Can it you talk is about and that
2: absolutely. And I think, you know, when we when I first set out to make the film, that wasn't my intention. And I think if I had intended that, it would have been really cheesy. Um, there were certain things I thought maybe I should shoot and then I decided not to. For example, I thought, oh, I should probably get some footage of the boarded up stores. And I, then I thought, you know what? I bet you that's what everybody else is doing. And that's going to be cliche in about two seconds.
1: I love yeah, that. <laughs> no, I agree. <laughs> I Because you feel the isolation without having to show that. Well, yeah. and, and you
0: did such a good job on the yeah, script brilliant. that everybody thinks. I mean, now Eric is like a star <laughs> for the <laughs> the notes he writes back to his patrons. Uh, yes, yeah. It was Nas writing those stories. Right, exactly. People are like, if I get a book from him, will he write me a note? And so you have to, everybody's gonna, we have, we're have. we gonna have this linked in our show notes, yeah, both, uh, both films, mm-hmm. but you can see what we're talking about. You're gonna wanna know, you're yeah. gonna wanna see it, but that shows what a wonderful script. I mean, you've convinced people that, no, this is Hollywood, right? Like, yeah. That it's filmmaking, yeah. that he's actually the one writing. These beautiful notes back to the customers. You know? Did
1: he ever write notes back to the customer?
0: I is mean, he, the, he,
2: no, no. He writes. You know, no. uh, he might say oh thanks for thank your thank purchase. you. Yeah.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> I think okay. he puts a little okay. card
2: in there. That says thank <laughs> you. I. Okay. Um, you know? Do you know what the most incredible thing was? So, as you said, the the film went on to get selected as a Vimeo Staff Pick, which is incredibly rare. I don't know how that happened. There are, I think, millions of videos that are uploaded to Vimeo every year and yeah. of those about 900 are chosen as staff picks across all categories brand fiction non-fiction all of okay. that out of the 900 92 are nominated for vimeo best of the year awards of which mine was one and wow. of those 15 win, and mine was the, one of the winners which is incredible nice.
0: that is incredible nice. congratulations
1: is just, That's thank just, you on un- unheard
0: um, of first
1: film I mean seriously it's incredible well
0: it's an incredible film it is Thank an incredible film. I absolutely
1: loved it myself it's beautiful it's
0: beautiful and and I love the fact that you didn't use any cliches and she Mm-mm. didn't but you still Mm-mm. knew what was happening you felt it for sure. A- it'll stand the test of time for sure yeah, so sure. what the most incredible thing that, well, a lot of incredible
2: things have happened. And this is why I feel like maybe I'm on the right track is because like these little pings, these little things, I forget what you call them. You have a word for them, but like, uh,
0: well, uh, Andrew or, calls it manifestation raindrops, raindrops. Yeah. But, mm-hmm.
2: but these little things are happening and, but the most incredible thing, and I'll never, ever for the rest of my life, forget this. I went to like months after the film came out, I went to visit Eric at the bookstore, like, like months. And I walked in and within a few minutes of me being there, this woman walked in and her boyfriend and she looked at Eric and she said, excuse me, but were you in a short film about a bookseller? And he said, I was. And she goes, I love that film. And she looked at her boyfriend. She was so excited. She was probably in her you know, 20s or 30s. Looked at her boyfriend and said, I love that film so much. I cried watching it. I sent it to everyone I know. I can't tell you how much that film meant to me. And Eric said, well, you're not going to believe this, but this is the filmmaker. She wrote and directed it. And the woman just like freaked out. And didn't even stay to buy anything at the store. Like got so nervous. She left (laughs) and then then stopped the people who were outside the bookstore, who were just random people and told them about the film and about me and Eric and (laughs) stuff.
1: I love it. (laughs) That was your first fan moment. Like you, she was
0: totally speechless. Yes, Mm -hmm. exactly.
1: That is, that's a great, and you're right. Those are just little (laughs) nods that you're on the right, on the right path. That's brilliant. I love that story. And you've talked
0: about like, there's a, I think you talked about this as a trilogy. So the second film is Andros and the city. Can you talk about the contrast of the two films? Yes,
2: I love, I love both the films. It's like your children, right? Yeah. I love Andres in the City. With, with Andres, I wanted to do something. I wanted to cha- challenge myself a little bit more. And so I wanted to do something that was also going to be a little bit more challenging for the audience. So there are... It's kind of an ambitious, ambitious script. And you have to watch the film to the end to know why it's ambitious, because the place we get to, it was challenging to get to that place.
1: Mm-hmm. And I'm not I mm-hmm. won't
2: spoil it for people.
1: But mm-hmm. um, no, yeah, I, but- I, yep, that makes sense.
2: And I really wanted it to be a much quieter film. I didn't want it to have a score the way that uh, Sincerely Eric had a score because a score helps move things along and keep your attention. I didn't want it to have many cuts the way Sincerely Eric had because cuts keep your yeah. the viewer's attention. I wanted it to feel more artistic and more on the fringe. And so... Uh, Andros in the City stars my good friend, Andros Zins Brown, who is a brilliant dancer and choreographer, an incredibly talented man. And mm-hmm. again, it's based sort of loosely around the real story of Andros, which is the story of what happens to performance in the midst of a pandemic. What happens to this whole career you've worked to build your entire life that suddenly is gone when you were supposed to be in Europe touring when you're you were supposed to put on a, you know, a show that you had curated and choreographed and all of a sudden it's disappeared or right. you're doing it in a way that isn't quite as satisfying as it would be because it's all digital and online and you're doing it from a distance. And so the story is about this dancer who is sort of descending into depression over the course of several weeks at the end of the summer. Brooklyn by himself when he Mm -hmm. he and Eric from the first film have a chance encounter. And it's about a series of conversations they have over the course of a day. And those conversations were actually shot over the course of a single day. So as the Mm -hmm. sun is setting, it's it's almost in
1: real time. I love Uh, that. Wow. Did Andros and Eric know each other prior to this film? Mm -hmm. I had that question after watching it. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting.
2: They had met once um, when I was telling both of them the concept for the film. But I didn't want them to have a friendship. I wanted the awkwardness of those two strangers. And and you have to remember that neither of them are trained as a trained actor. And so (laughs) I have to work with their real life personalities. And I have to write around that because that's the way to get the best performance. They're both great on camera, but that's the way to get the best performance out of them. And so um, I didn't want them to have a friendship
1: before the film. Right, right. No, that makes complete sense. And it it was felt, actually. Mm -hmm. Was it really warm at the end of summer?
2: Oh my gosh. Yeah. It was really warm. There was so many, we were warm. getting, we were getting you even destroyed. felt how warm it
1: was. Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. We were getting destroyed by mosquitoes and you know, the whole film uh, was supposed to be set outside. I was trying to be cautious of, of COVID and it had been just like endless sunny days. And then the morning of our shoot, we had a monsoon in Brooklyn. And (laughs) I woke up at five, like hysterical, like what am I gonna do? And there was no way to move the shooting schedule around because I was using a friend's house and there were all of these uh, things that made it impossible. And we were shooting backwards. We were shooting over three days backwards. So uh, you see in the film, Andros's beard and hair grow. So we shot all of that backwards. So we cut it down and down and down as we were shooting. And so there was no way to switch the schedule around. And so I got to set that morning. I woke up really early in the morning I had a cup of coffee and I sat in the silence in the dark in my living room and I thought what am I gonna do and I thought okay here's how the story can change to fit this what's happening right wow. now and I went on set and I sat everybody down and I said we can't shoot outside here are our two choices and you know they all thought about the two choices I gave them and I said what do you guys think and they said we'll do whatever you want to do and I said okay we're going to change the story and so wow We changed the story that morning, and it was a a lot of, you know, the first couple of scenes are improvised. Mm,
0: I love that. You would have never
1: known that.
2: I mean, listen,
0: I think that rain (laughs) added, I mean, at the end, I don't want to spoil it, but I think the rain Mm -hmm. added to the whole entire, I mean, Mm -hmm. it was a blessing for the story. Don't you think, Nas? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And
2: and I don't think we're giving anything away. There is a dance at the very end. And so of course, the minute we start shooting, it clears up and it becomes the hottest fucking day. But at this point, we're already in the <laughs> middle of it. We're not gonna change it again. <laughs> right. And exactly. So, and so um and so it does become quite warm and hot. And we shoot the whole film. It's muggy. It's as you said, Gina, you can you can feel, feel it. it. It's full mm. of bugs. And and we do go outside into the garden. And as we do the very last take of the last scene, the conversation they're having, it starts to rain. And we finish that up, the last take, which, which we didn't use. But anyway, we go inside and Andros changes really fast. He takes a few minutes for himself. We set up the camera. It's dark and it's pouring and there's a car alarm going off and he comes and does his performance. And we did one, one single take of that and it wow. is completely magic. And I'm actually going to put out, the, the full dance isn't in the film, but I'm going to put out the full dance, I think in the next couple of weeks. I can't wait
0: for that. Mm-hmm. I can't wow. wait for that. That's so exciting. I love it. I love Everybody it. Everybody has to see it. It is it is magic.
1: Right. Yeah. Oh, it and is. And that rain adds to the
0: magic for sure. It is. So when yeah. is
1: the third one yeah. coming out? Yeah, tell us out? what's next, Naz. Well, um, the first
2: film was about isolation. The second film is really uh, about gentle they're all a kind of about the, the both of them are about gentle masculinity but especially the second one and it's a little bit about hope and the third film is going to be about madness and it's not going to star. so I have it's a friend of mine Maude said you know I really want to find out why you're so why you're most comfortable expressing yourself through men <laughs> 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 I love
0: Very good that question. I that thought, is
1: okay, interesting.
2: I think I might have to work with women on the next one just to challenge myself a little bit more. And so the next film is about a teenager and her mom. And it's about madness. I'm sure you both can
1: relate to that. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I think yes. it, this this pandemic has brought out some interesting family dynamics for sure. Over, <laughs> for everybody,
0: for everybody. When is that going to be?
1: Filmed? Yeah, tell us more. I hope
2: soon I um I need to raise money for that film because i I am' tr- I'm trying to do some things that are a little bit more challenging and cost more um and so I need to raise about twelve to fifteen thousand dollars and I have no idea how I'm gonna do it so <laughs>
1: mm. oh I love that okay so uh, are how you... Ca- have you set something up that yeah. people can
2: well, like a, a crowdfunder kinda... or I mean, not officially. I was selling an essay, an unpublished essay of mine for $25 or more, however much people uh-huh. wanted to pay. But I, I haven't really been promoting it. I am I just am hoping one or two people somehow come through and say, we want to support this and just give me the money. Because I also realize that it's a very hard time for a lot of people and I don't yeah. want to go to them asking them for financial support at this moment,
1: you know? Yeah, no, I hear you. But but there are but you are selling an essay. So I am we can put that information in the show notes (laughs) if anybody feels um, like they want to support at $25 or more. I think it's it's an investment that's so wise and beautiful and an incredible talent for you so we definitely will put that in the show notes
0: absolutely yeah. and i mean 25 dollars. here's the thing it all adds up oh, yeah. and there's so many people that have watched these movies mm-hmm. if everybody put 25 you'd be at your goal you wouldn't need one to two people so yeah. i just think that you know uh i think that it should come many Let hands abundance flow many hands what, make, Gina?
1: many hands make light work oh, so let's okay, just see girl. how many folks we can <laughs> get involved for sure for sure
0: well, I'm so excited. I am it too. is a magical journey.
1: What, what time frame are you looking to, um, to film the third film? Um, um, I,
2: I would like to do early spring to kind of wrap yeah. up sort of, um, I, you know, early spring while it still feels a little wintry out. Um, and that way, yeah. you know, I have my, um, my spring film, my summer film
0: and my winter film.
1: Yeah. So the seasons will play a part in that story too. Yeah. Super interesting.
0: What What advice would you give a young girl starting out, maybe a young immigrant or <laughs> what, what would you, what would you tell her, you know, with your wise self today? What advice would you give her?
2: Oh boy. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I'm still learning so much. I, I, I'm still making so many mistakes. I think that maybe that's it. Maybe that that there is no end. There's is, there is there is no end. There's always going to be ups and downs. There there are always going to be ups and downs. There are always going to be mistakes. There are always going to be moments when you feel like you didn't do something as well as you wish you had. Um and just to be easy on yourself. I think that and and to keep going.
1: Yeah. What has the filmmaking process itself taught you about yourself that you didn't know before?
2: I work well with others. (laughs) (laughs) I do. (laughs) You know, I think like, I think, again, it comes back to misogyny. I have been told by so many men that I'm difficult. And I'm not difficult. I know what I want. And I say it. But yes. that's not okay for me as a woman. It's not okay for me as a short woman. It's not okay for me as a brown woman. It's not okay for me as an immigrant, right? right and right. um, and I think that it's very easy to internalize something like that. I and it turns out I'm absolutely not
1: a difficult person to work
2: with. I love so collaborating. Beca- I love other people shining, you know, it's not even it's not even a matter of that. But sorry, Gina, go ahead.
1: No, no, no. I was just going to say. So you started to believe what you were hearing about yourself from from other people. You started believing their story and have learned that that's not true at all. That story you know isn't what? yours.
2: You you absolutely internalize, absolutely, absolutely internalize what is being told to you about you. And I am a very strong woman. I am a woman who does not get bullied. I am a woman who understands that I live within the context of of a patriarchal racist society. And yet even I'm susceptible to that with all of sure. my awareness. So what chance does someone who isn't as secure and confident and vocal as I am
0: have?
1: Yeah, no. I mean, Nas, I mean, just listening to your story, I'm sure our audience will agree, you are a powerhouse. Uh, there is nothing you cannot do. And the amount of fearlessness you have lived your life with is, it's awe inspiring to be, I don't even know where that comes from. So I don't know if you know where that comes from, but it's, it's incredible to listen to the story. It really is. Mm-hmm.
2: Oh, thank Do you, you know where that
1: comes from? I think
2: part of it is just who you are. My mom is incredibly fierce and has had to stand up for herself. And I, I watched her closely right. as a child and and I think that it, a lot of it is her influence. Um, I think my dad was really brave, um, even though he died when I was young and I don't know him well, but from all the stories and from what I remember, mm-hmm. he was very brave. And I think, a, you know, part of it is, is your circumstances. I, I mentioned this actually, it's funny that we're coming back to this in that essay I wrote about the White House is that when I first moved here, I was, bu- I mean, I was bullied from fourth grade through my senior yep. year of high school and the first time someone bullied me i could have cowered and become the victim of that or i could have stood up for myself and i chose mm-hmm. to stand up for myself i had something in me that said no 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 you're going to stand yeah, up for
1: yourself you don't get to do that to me well a- and you did that as somebody in fourth grade who didn't speak our language were new to the country i mean the amount of internal strength is I know. Oh my gosh. Okay. Was, so, okay, truth, like, be told, truth be told, I, yeah, we're watching
0: Hugo, her dog, her like, dog like lovingly just, look at I her mean, like she's <laughs> like, well, she is the shit, Hugo. You're uh, right. Yeah. He. <laughs> he but was like, hearing everything i was just
1: saying in, i mean in he was agreement. looking at you yeah. going you are she the best thing ever i'm a powerhouse isn't she, she? That's, is, my mom. that's my mom that's my mom like, <laughs> lovingly oh, looking at it her it really was it oh, was a beautiful so moment actually oh
0: my god but i'm sorry gina i couldn't <laughs> no, no, stand I, I, it that it was, you know that hugo he's she's yep, taking the camera everyone
1: sees it Nas. even hugo <laughs> <laughs> we're all in awe of you. Thank you. Thank
0: are you, you gonna Are you gonna take the limelight and actually act in? Yeah, that's a great your question. film.
1: That's a great. I
2: question. don't not not in the next film. No, maybe sometime down the road. I I'll give it a shot. I do. Um, I do love a limelight, Holly.
0: You, I know yes, you're a do. performer. You talked yes, about that when you were five. You <laughs> know. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I um, you know, right now, I my passion is really making films and writing them and TV. And if the opportunity arises, and it feels right, I will absolutely try it. But um, yeah, if it doesn't, if I, if I can make my life, and my living, making films and TV, it'll be the best thing that's ever happened to me.
0: Yeah. I love that and you will. And you will. And you will <laughs> and she actually does have a cameo in Sincerely Eric the first of the trio of her films. <laughs> mm-hmm. she, you do of, get to see her. For, you get to see her on the subway. You're an extra on your film. (laughs) You (laughs) got to do
1: whatever it takes when you're on a budget, right, Naz? And in a pandemic. I mean, it's not like you can load the setup. Yeah, yeah.
0: I love it. I love it. I love having you here. I want to have you come back. I mean, when we talk about being bullied and systemic racism, the topic is broad and large, and it's so truthful, but it it needs some serious unpacking. And so we will do that in an upcoming episode for sure. But right now we're celebrating you, your art, your creativity, your three films, and many, many more to come. And the
1: LOA uncorked assignment is uh, to... Read the show notes and support Nas in any way you can. Whether you're following her, and we'll put all of her information in the show notes. Whether you're following her, being inspired by her, reading more about her, um, you know, maybe buying an essay for twenty five or more. <laughs> uh, whatever you feel compelled to I do, that's that. the uncorked assignment because you're an amazing human being, Nas. So I, I love Aww. that you're finally out in the Aww, limelight and getting too. exactly what you deserve
0: okay so exactly. listen gina the, yes the other part of the assignment is watch the films oh and the watch of course course the, the films. films i mean okay. of course they already put Give that money down and watch the films yes it's that easy it's that simple and support nas <laughs> support nas we love our audience we love you guys yes. thanks for being with us today and thanks. we love you
1: and oz oh i love you. you you're both
0: amazing i love this podcast
1: <laughs> more well, you holly inspired and it. gina
2: more gina and holly <laughs>
1: well you know we're we're available for for film parts at, at any point also
2: listen don't th- listen some gina, of us are not, trained Do not think i haven't thought about that do not think i haven't thought what can no. i put gina in okay i'm yeah. not
1: even kidding for sure listen i you know i don't go anywhere without holly so it's you oh, know you'll have to you know you'll have to cast the aunts at some point
0: all right everyone all right. thank, thank you. you
1: bye-bye everyone
0: Thank you for joining our VIP conversation. And please visit us at our website, www.loauncorked.com. See you soon. Bye.